Mac Power Users, episode 411, A Pretty Good Year. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? Well, I'm a little irritated, David. It appears that after weeks and weeks of of you coughing all over the microphone, you've now gotten me sick, too. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, Katie. Um, But if it makes you feel any better, I am still sick. So (laughs) So we apologize to our listeners. This is going to be an interesting episode. Um, I think our voices will both get progressively worse throughout it. And um, so maybe a short one. We'll see. We'll see how long we uh, we hold out here. But uh, tis, tis that time of year. Thanks for bearing in with us. The thing that drives me crazy is uh, I, I've had this cold like a month, but because of the way, you know, we've got vacations and you've got to go out of town and a few things going on, we're recording a few shows ahead of time. So it's going to seem like I'm sick for like six months to the listeners. Oh, I feel like you have been sick for like six months. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's just the case. But I am looking for I am now on serious meds and I'm told that I will be much better in a couple days right after we get done with this marathon week of recording episodes. Well, but it's um for this particular episode at least it's uh it's the new year or almost the new year and this is kind of the time where we we take to look back at the year that was uh, in terms of tech and and we also look forward but one of the things we have to look forward to is you're going to London yeah I am I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, it's just a family vacation like I said but I'm gonna take some time to be a nerd I'm meeting up with a couple nerd friends there we don't really have anything formal planned and and it may not actually come to fruition because it's a big pain in the neck for Mike uh, Hurley on the London side to get a place. And, you know, uh, we don't, what we don't want to do is have a hundred people show up to a bar. So I I don't know if you're listening and you're in London, um, you know, watch my Twitter, I guess. And at some point I am going to do an informal meetup, but it's only going to have a day or two notice. And, um, and, and I'd like to meet as many people as possible, but I don't want it to be super big either because then they want you to, you know, go the full route. So something may happen while I'm in London (laughs) and and, uh, just keep an eye on Twitter, like I said, and, and, and uh, hopefully we can meet. All right. Well, let's, let's look forward. or I guess before we look forward, let's look backwards um, at 2017. And I guess let's, uh, let's start positive. Um, I want to look back at 2017 and talk about what worked for us this year. Um, it's been an interesting year for me. It was my first full year of my my solo practice. I, I, I kind of called it the year of Katie. It's been a great year for me uh, personally and professionally. I, I've been very excited with the way things happened. Um, I don't know that a whole lot has changed in my tech setup. It's It's been more of a refinement of a lot of things that I've, I've been putting into practice. Um, but, but I've had, had a few things that have worked really well for me. And I think you have as well. It's, it's kind of been a refining year for me. Yeah. Uh, to me, I felt like there were a couple apps and workflows this year that may have been lingering in the background that kind of came to the front this year for me. And, uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about some of those and, and how I'm using them and you as well, and maybe provide a little bit of inspiration to folks out there listening. Okay. We've kind of divvied these up into two categories, although, our, our categories blur a little bit because we, we divvied them up into categories for work and categories for home, although being um, entrepreneurs, a lot of work happens at home. So uh, I guess for home, we, we kind of classify that as, as more of our personal stuff instead of the, the professional side of things. So 
Um, so that's kind of how we're, we're categorizing things. Why don't we just bounce back and forth with some of these picks? I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that really worked for me this year, and it's something that we've preached a long time on Mac Power users. I think it goes back to like episode four of the show, uh, is truly adopting a paperless practice. And, and because I adopted paperless practice, it, it has been so freeing on, on many levels because I started this from day one of, of opening my practice. I, I didn't have to bother with um, with all the vestiges of old paper that I had to deal with and figure out how to archive. So that was very freeing. But I think if you have a practice, an established practice, while it certainly is more difficult to go paperless and there is a transition period, one of the things that I always tell people who always say, oh, gosh, I wish I could do that, but I've got I've got years and years and years of stuff built up is just stop. And coming up on the new year, I think, is a good date for a lot of people to just stop and say, okay, well, 2018 was the year that I went paperless and uh, everything from 2017 and before. Um, you just stop digging the hole, stop getting deeper, stop getting more paper. And we'll work on that problem later. That's that's a, another problem is is getting rid of all the paper. But but let's just from 2018 forward decide that I'm going to stop making the problem worse now. And obviously, if you have the luxury of starting something new and can start from scratch with no paper, that's better. But but everybody can at least start fresh from from some point. And for a lot of people, the start of a new year or whether it's the start of a fiscal year uh, is a great milestone to start doing that. Okay, so I'd like to hear about your paperless workflow just a little bit, because we I know you've been doing one, but we haven't got too far in the weeds on this. Um, for instance, what are you doing in terms of optical character recognition? Are you are you performing OCR on your stuff in your paperless workflow? Well, I think we have to get back a, a little more basic before that. So um, uh, there is still paper that is dealt with in my practice. And the way that I deal with most of that is everything that comes into my practice, one of two things happens. Um, it, it is either trashed because, you know, so much of what comes in, you just, you know, we really don't need. So we just get rid of it. You don't um, even need a scan of it. No, we don't, trashed. don't even need to look at it. Just get rid of it. Or it immediately gets scanned. And I, I, they're full disclosure, they're a sponsor, but the Fujitsu Scan Snap IX500, um, is the, my weapon of choice for that. I've got one at home, one at the office. And anything that looks like it needs to be kept is that that has come in in a paper form is going to go through the scan snap. And yes, when it goes through the scan snap, um, I I do have the scan snap set up to OCR every single page. And that used to be a much bigger deal than it is now uh, because it used to take a long time to OCR stuff. But you know, candidly, for the last several years now, uh, modern computers have been strong enough. So I, you know, I would say if you've got you know, even a modern computer that was made in the last several years, you're probably going to be fine to go ahead and just take the extra seconds is what it is at this point um, to, to OCR the documents as you run them through your scanner. Yeah. And I would second that because number one, it makes them searchable. So that's really helpful. And secondly, if you start to annotate them, uh, you can like selectively highlight certain words. It just, everything gets easier when you scan it. Now, are you using the IX500 directly connected to your Mac or are you using the um, the cloud service? Yes. Okay. Um, and and because the, the answer is it depends on where I am. Um, 
I'm using the scanner directly connected to my Mac at home, be, just because that's what is convenient and that's how my my desk is set up. Um, at the office, I'm using the some more of the I'm using it uh, wirelessly, and I've I can use it connected to the cloud service at the office. So e- e- I've used both, and either works. The other piece that I will tell you is uh, many professions now, and thankfully the legal profession, um, is generating less paper in general. In in my state, we've moved over to mandatory uh, electronic filing for all attorneys. We still have some pro se parties who file with paper. But I will say that has generated a lot less paper in my practice. So the there are some days where I get no mail, which is very nice. So the va- vast majority of what I get comes to me as a PDF attachment to an email. So in that case, what I'm doing is I'm taking that email and I'm pulling it in uh, and and saving it to a, a series of files and folders, which we'll we'll talk about later. Um, most of things that are that are filed through our electronic portal um, just happen by state law required to be OCR'd um, if for accessibility reasons. If they're not, because there are many attorneys who don't know what OCR means and don't follow those practices, I would tell you most of them aren't. Uh, I have PDF Pen Pro is what I use to automatically, the first thing it does is automatically OCR a file when I download it. And I do that via a Hazel script that I have when something gets downloaded to my download folder, to my action folder. It's the first step it's going to do is look at it. Is the PDF, is it OCR'd? If no, then the first thing it's going to do is OCR it. What are you using to determine whether it's OCR'd? I have a, and I think I've posted this on my blog, but I have a Hazel script that um, what it will do is it will it will look for a document, and it will see um, first criteria is was it pulled it was it created by ScanSnap? I will look for a PDF. Uh, criteria one is was this created by ScanSnap? If it was created by ScanSnap, then do nothing with it, because if it was created by ScanSnap, then I've already OCR'd it because that's just my my setting. The second thing it will do is it will go through, because you know with Hazel, you can create multi-level criteria. And I think I borrowed this from you. I had some other stuff set up, but I have it set to look for um, basically vowels, you know, A-E-I-O-U, because any paper that's not gibberish is going to have a vowel in it somewhere. Yeah. If it's OCR, there's a vowel. Yeah. Right. Um, and if it, if it does not find those, uh, then it goes ahead and, and runs a script to OCR the, the yeah, file. That's good. I'll tell you this year, I, um, I tried for half the year to use the, um, scan snap cloud and it worked pretty well, but, uh, ultimately with some of the larger documents, cause with the corporate stuff I do, sometimes I get really long documents that I scan and it would occasionally break them up into multiple pieces. And that was always a pain to stick them back together. And, um, and then I realized why am I doing this? There's a room on the shelf next to my computer to keep the scan snap. So I moved it back up into the office, and now it's just right next to the computer, and it's fine. And I've got it plugged in directly. The the beauty of is you don't have to have your ScanSnap physically plugged in to scan directly to your computer. As long as your computer and the ScanSnap are on the same wireless network, it can scan directly to your computer. So I, I had my Mac on my desk and my ScanSnap on a credenza, and I scanned directly to the computer. It's not quite as fast as if it's plugged in by USB 3, but it's... The, the the difference is not noticeable, let's say. It's looking very likely that my oldest is moving out next year. <laughs> and we've been talking about this on on uh, free agents and I am I'm I'm mixed because part of me desperately doesn't want her to leave. You know, I, I'm actually one of those parents that wants my kids to stick around. 
Um, but the flip side of it is I am fantasizing about my home office. Like there's no tomorrow. I have so many great ideas <laughs> and the, uh, the scan snap location is already being considered. Well, what are you going to do when she comes home from college? She's going to need a room, you know? You yeah, I know. Um, but I really need a, a separate office and I don't want to go like put on a tie and rent an office. So, um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I kind of, we talked about it. I said, well, do you want me to just wait six months to see, you know, if it fits? And, and I think we're going to have some kind of waiting period. But if she's really happy with things, we do have a sofa bed when she comes home and wants to hang out with us. And if something happened where she had to move back home, I would just vacate the premises. But uh, the idea of having just an extra bedroom when I desperately need a home office is a uh, it's kind of hard to accept as well. So I don't know. We'll see. I'll talk about it on the show, but th that's months and months away. So, But before we get too far off the topic of paperless, the, the one thing I want to mention that has been a, a huge help with this is when you when you have a ScanSnap, and, and this is not intended to be a commercial for ScanSnap, um, out of the box, it, it comes with a few preset, um, I guess, um, I don't know what you call it. Um, it comes with a few uh, preset settings where you can scan to a folder, you can scan to a file, you can scan an OCR. I think our, our friend Brooks Duncan over at Document Snap has a, a guide for setting those up if you if you want more granularity to that. And I think that's important. I have created a few different settings for mine, specifically for, for scanning different types of documents. I think having a batch scan is important because, for example, when, when my clients sign estate planning documents, uh, that's, you know, depending on if it's a simple plan or if it's a husband and wife or, or how many, you know, how complicated it is that on a, on a low end is probably around 30 pages and on a high end can be over a hundred pages depending on what we're doing. And I'm not going to run those through the scanner all, all at the same time, or, um, you know, I, I just, I'm going to run them through a couple of pieces at a time. And so I'll turn on batch scan mode, or if I'm scanning an old file, I'll, I'll turn on batch scan mode so you can put things in and the scanner will just continue scanning. Whereas if I'm scanning the mail and I have a lot of single pieces of paper, then I'll set it to just scan a single page at a time where every page is a different scan. And so I think once you figure out the types of things that you commonly scan and what your needs are, you can you can tweak those presets so that they work best for you. Now, no matter what scanner you have, those presets are going to be uh, helpful. But I can tell you also from personal experience using the ScanSnap, uh, spending 15 minutes and going through and kind of customizing those is great. Like one of the things I do is I have a scan snap setting for things I'm going to use as trial exhibits because I want to scan them at a high resolution that I can put into a presentation and they don't look terrible, but I don't want to use that setting for everything I scan. So, uh, just think about the needs in your life and go through and, and make a couple custom settings. Uh, you know, it's not built for pictures, but I have a picture, setting that does a decent job in a, in a jam. So just go through and spend some time with those things. All right. So what about you? What is one of your workflows that's worked this year? Uh, one of the things I did this year is I, you know, Ulysses went on a subscription model and I'd been playing with in the past. I, I'd frankly been more of a Scrivener user for a long time, but uh, for a lot of the writing stuff I've been doing, Ulysses kind of makes sense because it's just so easy and it syncs so cleanly between iPad and phone and, and Mac. And so I went ahead and subscribed and I started using it seriously. And, and I use that in, combine, in combination with the web service called Grammarly, which is a grammar checker. And traditionally I've hated grammar checkers. They're usually terrible. I mean, the one in Microsoft Word. 
never worked for me. Um, but I spend a lot of money uh, hiring copy editors on the books I'm working on and some of the legal stuff. And I thought, well, it's not that much to get a year subscription to Grammarly and just see how much I use it. And I use it all the time. And it's, it's catching words that I use repeatedly and fixing. And it's just a really nice workflow with Ulysses because everything in Ulysses is plain text. So what I've done in Ulysses is you can have kind of libraries of text. I've got one uh, just for uh, Max Sparky Field Guides. And in that, I've got two or three different books that are kind of in process. And and the next Max Sparky Field Guide, which I'm going to release, you know, hopefully first quarter next year, is one where I'm going to be uh, doing a lot of updates to it. So I'm keeping the text live between iBooks, author, and Ulysses. So I can always go back and make updates to the book very easily. And it's just a really convenient method of work. And like I said, everything syncs so quickly and fastly. Uh, that's not even a word, is it? But everything qu- qu- uh, syncs so easily between the iPad and the Mac that no matter where I'm at, I can always get some writing done on my books. And I love that. Uh, for the second category is just Max Sparky in general and a lot of the posts I'm working on, sometimes sponsor posts, just anything I'm writing. Sometimes people ask me to write a one-off article for their website or whatever, and I've got all that stuff in Ulysses under a single tab. And then finally, there's this legal tab, which is really a um, primarily a text bank, which is something I used to do in... Uh, in Vialt, and then I used to do it in Apple Notes, but I've moved it over to Ulysses because I can organize it very easily and visually see it. You know, th- it just makes sense the way I have in Ulysses. And then I end up writing lot large contracts and legal briefs in Ulysses too by by pulling assets out of those text banks and doing legal writing there. And the nice thing is it's all in one app and very easy to use. As I start getting closer to finishing something that I want to publish or file with the court. I'll take the raw text out, usually just, you know, command C, copy it on my Mac, and then I'll open the Grammarly app and drop it in and do a grammar check and find the words that I've been repeating throughout the year and kind of get things cleaned up. If it's something I'm going to publish as a book, then I'll send it to the copy editor, but the copy editor has a lot less work then. But ultimately, I can get the text back into Ulysses, just as plain text. And then from there, if it's a brief, it'll go into Microsoft Word or Pages. If it's a book, it'll go into iBooks Author or, you know, whatever the final platform I'm working on. But um, so much of my work these days is getting done in Ulysses. I'm super happy with that application. It's been really solid. It uses iCloud syncing, and I've not lost any data. And, you know, I, I just feel like this year that app really stuck for me. And I'm really happy to have it in my life because it it's helping me get better at producing things as opposed to fiddling with the tools. There was a um, there was a lot of backlash when Ulysses went to a subscription model. I know one of the benefits that you can get from having an, a, a subscription to like Setapp is that it includes Ulysses, I believe, with the Setapp subscription as well. But, you know, if you, you find I, I think these types of things are going to be more common with a lot of the tools that we use. If it's a tool that really helps you get your work done and, and this is how you pay for your shoes, then, you know. It's important. Yeah, I agree. And in the Grammarly, uh, the second half of that is another thing I picked up this year. And uh, if you're doing a lot of writing, you should look into it. Uh, they just released an app for iOS. It's a keyboard. So you can activate the keyboard in any writing app and it'll check your grammar within the application. 
which saves you the trouble of round tripping the text to a separate application. When I first heard how they did it, I thought it was a, a dumb idea. I'm like, ah, keyboard, that's just going to be difficult. And actually, now that I started using it, especially on the iPad, it's it's actually pretty convenient because you don't have to take the text out of the app and put it somewhere else. Yeah, I also use Grammarly. I think it's one of the things that you had recommended and I'd looked at. I, I, I have a horrible time proofreading my own writing and I well, found everybody Gram- does. Yeah, yeah. I I found Grammarly to be particularly helpful with things like writing blog posts and and articles and um less formal writing. I have found it to be not so much with more technical writing like the type that we do sometimes because you know, the, just some of the wherefore and passive voice and this and that. And then Grammarly is like, oh, my gosh, why are you saying this this way? And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. But um, I think it's a I think it's a great tool. I'm not sure that I'm sold on the keyboard yet. I, I understand why they did it. Um, I, I guess what you do is I because I, I think it's a bad keyboard. I think most of the third party keyboards are bad keyboards. So what I end up doing is just you know, writing it in the regular um, iOS keyboard or writing it on my smart keyboard connected to my iPad, switching over to the Grammarly keyboard to to check it and then getting it back in. And then that's I do the exact same thing. I, I've never used the Grammarly keyboard to input any text, except I've just used it to check when everything's done. I'll just switch to the Grammarly keyboard and, and let it go through. And you can approve or disapprove of suggested changes pretty quickly from there. So th- I think... I would agree with you. It's not it's not a keyboard to replace your your basic keyboard, but it's a uh, it's a step when you want to check your text through Grammarly. Uh, the the other option would be to copy the text out, paste it in a Grammarly app, run your checks, then copy the corrected text and paste it in the application. That's the round trip I was talking about. I feel like uh, by putting in the keyboard, they've saved you that extra step. Uh, it, it is a little wonky, but I completely understand why they did it that way. And unfortunately, Grammarly still doesn't work on the Mac other than in a web browser or through its Mac app. They don't they don't have that Grammarly plug in uh, with with Word or with many writing apps. I, I, I wish there was a, a plug in where like the Byword folks could plug in Grammarly or Apple Mail could plug in Grammarly or those types of things. I know on the PC side there is. Yeah. Yeah, or we'll Ulysses. <laughs> yeah. Or Ulysses, yeah. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by SaneBox. Head over to SaneBox.com slash MPU to receive a $25 credit on any plan. So if, like me, one of your resolutions this year is to get better at email, then you need SaneBox. SaneBox is a tool that integrates with any email service and any email app. It learns what's important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours of time. You don't have to change the app that you're using. You don't have to change the service that you're using. SaneBox works with whatever you have, and it is simply great email filtering. The first thing it does is give you a Sane Later folder, and what that does is keep your inbox for what really matters matters most. It also gives you other folders like the black hole folder. So if there's someone you don't want to hear from, you can unsubscribe with just one click. But perhaps my two favorite features of SaneBox are the snooze folders and the Sane reminders. Snooze is great for deferring events until perhaps the next business day or maybe a weekend. So you don't have to worry about cluttering up your inbox with things that you just know you can't deal with right now. Defer them until when you know you have time. Maybe it's the weekend. Maybe it's the next business day. Maybe it's some other time when you get back from vacation, you can create snooze folders for all of those types of events. 
And reminders means that you'll never forget to follow up on an email. So for example, if you email someone and you know you want to hear back if you don't get a reply for them, then perhaps you can send a carbon copy or a blind carbon copy to one week at samebox.com. And if your receiver doesn't reply, you'll get a reminder in one week to follow up with them. But you can pick any time frame you want. You can say April 15th, you can say next Tuesday, whatever you want to do. Sanebox figures it out. And Sanebox does even more. They can filter attachments. They can help you set up your assistant to help you manage your email. The possibilities are really endless. They've got various plans and pricing. They start as low as $4 a month, and you can get a 14-day free trial. So head on over to SaneBox.com, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash M-P-U to receive a $25 credit, and that's the best deal around on any plan. Thanks, SaneBox, for your kind support of the show. What else is working for you this year, Katie? Well, we talked a little bit about my paperless practice, and of course, that uh, that includes two other components that, that we've talked about, and I've, I've incorporated them a little bit. Obviously, Hazel uh, quite a bit for automation and filing all of those those paperless documents, but also Dropbox uh, for file storage. I, I know you've kind of gone the other way on that, and that might be something we can we can talk about next. And, and um, I decided to go the Dropbox route because I, I wasn't all in on iCloud, and, and maybe I, I should revisit that. Maybe I'll go there at some point in the future. But I I was very fortunate that I got in early on Dropbox. I got in early on the referrals to Dropbox, and I I had like something like you know thirty gigabytes of uh, space in in Dropbox, you know, without having to pay for it. And so I never really had a a reason to do that until until I truly started using Dropbox as my uh, my finder and putting everything in Dropbox. But the, the past year, I, I upgraded to a pro subscription that gave me a terabyte in Dropbox. And now I've just started using Dropbox completely as my, my file management system. Um, or not my file management system, but it, but as my document storage system. I still have a documents folder on my Mac, but the only thing that is in those documents folder are like the miscellaneous files that, that certain applications require be in that documents folder. Everything else is in a folder structure inside my Dropbox folder. And that basically means that I have access to it everywhere, whether it be on my Mac, whether it be on my iPad, uh, whether it be on my iPhone. The the files app with Dropbox support has been a little disappointing, I will say, um, but it's certainly gotten gotten better with uh, than than what we had before, which was just the Dropbox app. I think it's a lot better than it was before. No, it, def- it definitely is. It's it, it it's not been everything that I hoped it would be, but it, but it's better um, than nothing that we had before. But it's it's completely taken all of the friction out of living a multi-computer lifestyle. I've, I've always lived the lifestyle before where I had one computer because syncing was hard because, uh, you know, I didn't want to have a desktop and a laptop. And uh, this past year, I've, I've had a, a work computer and a home computer, and I did work both places. And I have never once had to stop and think about, oh, I can't do this here because it's not synced up, or, or, oh, I've got to worry about this, and what's the most recent version? It just seamlessly works. Katie, welcome to 2012. I know. Finally, it finally works. <laughs> uh, and and I guess I in again maybe you'll you'll tell me that I'm wrong, but I just never had faith that Apple would really reliably be able to do that with my most important data. And and Dropbox, I I never really gave it a second choice. I knew that it was going to be okay. 
Yeah, I, I think still Dropbox is the safe choice with that stuff. However, however, <laughs> I've had a couple iCloud Drive experiments, as the listeners will know, over the years. And this year I did one that stuck. You know, when we were in the beta for iOS 11, I wanted so much to use that file files app that I just decided, why not? So I um went ahead and I just moved. I made copies of everything. You know, you know me, I've got a million backups and everything. But I said, why don't I just take a month and try and use iCloud? So I put everything in iCloud and it worked so well that 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 one month experiment was about seven, eight months ago. Well, actually it wasn't that. It started in June. So here we are six months in and it's working great. So there's some differences obviously. And, but, but let me just talk about why iCloud kind of stuck with me this time. And one of the primary reasons is because I, uh, I have a laptop with a, with a small SSD on it. And while Dropbox does a good job of, of syncing your documents, Dropbox has never been very good about, you know, what happens if your Dropbox storage, you know, you have a terabyte and I only have a 256 uh, gigabyte SSD. So what happens if your Dropbox gets bigger than your drive? Now uh, with Dropbox, you can go into the settings with, with the, with the pro account and you can turn off certain folders and say like my media folder, don't sync that. And what happens with that is the media folder just disappears. You know, you don't see it at all on the computer. Now, I believe with the new upper tier Dropbox account, which I don't know the name of and I should, I'm, I apologize, but I believe it's the $20 a month account. You can actually now do uh, a sort of selective sync where you see the file names and then you can download the files on an as needed basis. Am I correct in that? Do you know? Um, yeah, I, I think you've been able to do that though on the, on the regular account or not the regular account, but the paid account. Okay. Well, I'm going to feel silly then because well, at least when I moved over to iCloud, you couldn't. And on my laptop, iCloud, uh, allows me to see all the files I've got stored on iCloud at all the times. And the, the Mac does a pretty good job of downloading the stuff that I, that I access frequently and leaving the other stuff that I don't need on the cloud. So, uh, the the advantage is that on my laptop with one terabyte of iCloud storage, I've got like video files. I've just got tons of great. Actually, it's two terabytes now. Uh, I've just got tons of data stored up there. And maybe if I'm on a trip and I want to download an episode of, you know, Star Wars or whatever, I can do it now very easily using iCloud storage. Um, and that that's really nice. And it, it just seems to work for me. I have not had a problem where stuff I frequently need just isn't there or it takes a long time to get it if I have to click on the download button. So it's just been really solid for me. Edit in place works great. And it's just been not that different from Dropbox. Um, I haven't given up my Dropbox account yet because one of the failures of iCloud Drive is the sharing isn't as good as Dropbox. And I need to do sharing with some of the collaboration stuff I'm doing. But Overall, it's it's been pretty good. And, you know, part of it is just me being a canary in a coal mine uh, because I make this podcast and I write maxsparky.com. Uh, you know, a lot of people aren't going to be willing to do this, but I want to, and I can. it gives me something to talk about. And, and hopefully uh, I don't get my nose bloodied too much. Uh, I know Mike Hurley had some problems with iCloud drive storage, and um, and that was one of the horror stories I heard this year. So I've, I've still got a very rigorous backup routine. But for now, um, in 2017 was the year I switched over to iCloud. I guess we'll see if I'm still using it a year from now when we do this episode next year. So are you completely off Dropbox? Are you using Dropbox for anything? Are you keeping it kind of as a backup just in case I decide this iCloud thing doesn't work out? Or 
Yeah, I'm still, I mean, my, my renewal isn't due for like another three months. And I, I didn't, you know, I just wasn't super aggressive about recommending it to people and getting the free storage. So, uh, and I do like when I do a collaboration with somebody, when I write a book with somebody, there are massive files being passed around the two, the two gigabyte or whatever their free tier is, isn't going to be enough for me. Uh, so at least for the time being, I'm probably going to continue my subscription for Dropbox for another year. And I like the idea of being able to switch back if I need to. I mean, the, the silly thing is because we're using iCloud for the family, I'm going to be paying for this, this, uh, big tier of iCloud storage, no matter what. And I'm probably going to be paying for Dropbox, at least for the immediate future. But if iCloud continues to grow and like, and one of my hopes for 2018 is iCloud sharing gets a lot better. Um, at least for the time being, I'm going to kind of tread the line on both sides, but I am finding that just for accessing files and getting work done, iCloud is working really well for me. And like, for instance, the files app, of course, it works great with iCloud storage because it's both by the same company. Well, I will tell you like so many things, you are my canary in a coal mine. Yeah, I know. I hear that from a lot of listeners. <laughs> I, I will tell you if things go sideways on me with this experiment. But um, uh, in the meantime, I've got, I guess I could talk, maybe we'll do a cloud show sometime in the next two or three months. And I'll tell you all the things I'm doing to back up and I can go through more, a lot deeper what works and doesn't work with iCloud. But for the large part, it's it's working fine for me. Yeah. And I think we all have that frustration and you, and you touched on it a little bit is most of us are paying for way more cloud storage than we need. And I really feel like this is an area where I'm spending more money than I need to, but but more so I'm duplicating effort and I've got all this unused cloud storage space. I'm, I'm paying for iCloud. I'm paying for Dropbox. I've got all this unused storage space on iCloud that I can't do anything with. Like, why can't I store my iTunes library there and have iTunes match work? But I mean, I mean that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, I think my iCloud plan, it's, it's a hundred bucks a year. I mean, I, uh, that's a chunk. I mean, it's, it's not killing me, but I mean, that's chunk that you could be doing other stuff with. And if, if I, if I truly had the confidence in iCloud that I did in Dropbox, uh, I, I would love to be able to switch and get rid of that, that hundred dollar, I'm sorry, a hundred dollar a year, not hundred dollar a month, a hundred dollar a year payment. And maybe next year I'll be there, but, uh, I, I think for now I'm, I'm squarely where. Yeah, I think it still has a ways to go. Yeah, we'll see. Don't want anybody blaming us for losing their data. Yeah, that's why I'm telling you all, this is an experiment. Please don't just, you know, throw caution to the wind. But if you do decide to try it, make sure you've got a nice, thorough backup. Like you should have if you're using Dropbox. I mean, no matter what you do, you should be having a really good backup system. Because whenever you use a cloud-based service, if a file gets trashed or lost somehow in the cloud it's gone from all the machines because that's the whole purpose of these cloud services to sync it all, even deletions. So you need to have a separate backup that, that is independent of your, uh, your usual backup regime. One of the other things I want to talk about, and this is kind of the last piece of, of going paperless is a big piece of paper um, is all the stuff that deals with bills in invoicing. And I have put that piece completely paperless now. And I, I went with a third-party service to do this. There are a lot of different ones. You can do it through your accounting software. You can do it through a, a third-party, like um, our sponsor of this episode, FreshBooks, has a, a way to do it. Um, Harvest has a way to do it. Uh, QuickBooks has a way built in to do it. I mean, obviously, you've got to investigate the one that works best for your particular business use and, and do that. But I went all in this year with uh, paperless invoicing. And this was something 
that I knew I wanted to do, but I didn't know if my clients would be accepting to it. And to my surprise, they were overwhelmingly. I got more compliments about my billing than I did about anything else. Okay. So your voice is going now. So we're just going to take turns rescuing each other for the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I had the interesting experience when I, cause I did this too, when I first started, uh, I've got a couple clients that, um, frankly, that are uh, octogenarians that want an invoice in the mail and that's it. Everybody else wants a digital bill. And, and if you send them a, a thing in the mail, they're going to complain that they ever received it or, it's just going to cause more grief for them. So I agree. Uh, digital billing is really the way to go. Yeah. Now, this, of course, means that if you're going to send out a digital bill, you have to figure out how are you going to take people's money. I would say there was still some segment of my my clients who wrote me a check. And that was that was nice because, you know, when someone when someone writes you a check, you get all that money, you just deposit in your account and, and boom. Um, or at the at the time of the transaction at the table, you know, they would sign a document and I'd hand them a bill and they'd write me a check and, you know, boom, we're we're done. But I I think it's also important to to kind of figure out how you're going to handle the whole the whole credit card piece. And a lot of these um, paperless billing companies will have that built in. You obviously need to compare the rates and and see what you're paying because sometimes you can end up paying a lot more than than you really need to. But there are fees to doing this. I personally found that the cost of of the fees was just kind of a cost of doing business that I was I was willing to to eat and and understand that I was going to lose a certain percentage of my revenue to the the credit card and the transaction fees. But I was willing to do it because when I was at the big firm who didn't want to take credit cards because you know they didn't want to pay the fees, we had a tremendous problem with um outstanding accounts receivables where you know there were thousands of dollars in any given month that that I was owed that was you know 30 60 90 days delinquent and some of it we just wrote off cuz we were never paid and that's one thing if you're in a big firm but when you're a little guy you know, you, you can't afford to do that um i've i've never had that problem and part of that's cuz i i pick and choose and have good relationships with my clients but i think part of it is you just make it easy for people to pay you I've had. I mean, lawyers are cheap sometimes. I I understand if you've got a business that has a bunch of small transactions, how these credit card fees can kill you. But when it's a legal invoice, if you have to pay a little bit to just make it easy for the client, just do it. Um, I uh, I'll tell you another thing that this year I think really improved for me was iOS productivity. That just kind of as a general, and uh, you know, obviously with the release of iOS eleven. Apple solved one of the, you know, the, the big problems with the iPad it was the operating system getting in the way, you know, no manageable file system in the operating system, uh, no way to cut and paste between apps. And just, you know, there was a bunch of stuff that was just like kind of knocking your head against the wall stuff that made it really hard to, to get work done on an iPad. And this year, Apple knocked a lot of those down. I feel like you know, when the iPad first came out, the limitation was the hardware, the software, and the operating system. Well, I feel like at this point, the the the, um, the iPad hardware is very fast, and now the operating system does work for productivity. Now it's just, you know, getting the right software. And uh, this year, we made tons of progress with that, and I'm, I'm super happy with that. I you know, at least several times a week, I get on my silly bike and I go down to on um, to um to Starbucks and I sit there for two or three hours with just a little iPad, ten point five inch, and I get so much work done. I mean, even more work done than I do get sitting uh, sitting at my fancy iMac because 
just, you know, the change in scenery and all those other things. But I can edit Microsoft Word documents. I can work on presentations. I can send email to OmniFocus. I mean, almost everything I do on a Mac can now be done on an iPad without a lot of pain and suffering because of the changes they made this year to iOS 11. Have you experienced that as well? or Because it, it maybe I don't think the iPad just really ever became a, that kind of thing for you. I, I have experienced that iOS 11 has definitely increased my use of the iPad for more productivity tools. Um, I was gonna, I was going to save this for my other section. I'll tell you honestly, what has increased my use of the iPad has been the smart keyboard more, more than anything. And that was something that we got with the iPad Pro. Um, and even more so with the 10.5 inch iPad Pro, just, just having a little bit more space has, has made it a significantly better keyboard experience. Yeah, being able to drag and drop files and yes, being able to go split screen and, and those types of things. It, it's, it's been nice and it's made it a better experience. But I'm going to, anytime I really have to get, I mean, there, there's still many, many days and many, many things where I say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to save that for when I get back to my Mac. But um, yeah, it, ha- it has made the iPad better and it gets better with every version for me, but I'm I'm never going to be a, an iPad devotee like I think you and Federico are. Well, I, it's different. Now, Federico uses iPad only. I'm not I'm not there, you know, um, but the uh, but I do think it's a lot more useful. I mean, this year was a banner year for the I.O. the iPad and iOS in general for people that want to get their work done. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by one password. 1Password is the password app that doesn't sleep, and you can get 20% off by going to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps. Both Katie and I love using 1Password. It's a great application that creates unique and special passwords for you that you can use across all your different websites. Each one is different, and it fills automatically, and it just solves the security problem. One of the things I love about 1Password, however, is the way these guys are always pushing the envelope, and they're doing it again with 1Password X. 1Password X is the 1Password application for your browser. By making a browser-based version, 1Password allows you to log on to a site right from the browser. It also lets you use 1Password without downloading an application. And that can be really handy, especially if you're working on a non-supported platform like Chrome OS or Linux, or even if you want to use 1Password at work and you're locked from installing a specific application. 1Password X builds on the extension that you get out of the application, on the traditional application, and in a lot of ways it takes you to the next level. It's really powerful with traditional application tools like keyboard navigation, smart search, and memory. And it's also real secure like the application. If you're a 1Password subscriber, you've already got access. Just go to the website, press the button, and let it go. But as awesome as 1Password X is, and having 1Password in the browser is pretty great, it's not the only solution. In fact, it's not meant to replace the applications. It's just one more way to access your 1Password data. They still have the great apps for the Mac, the iPad, the iPhone, Windows, and Android. So it's the new year, and no matter how you want to manage your passwords, 1Password is there to help you out. Head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps and get 20% off. Thanks, 1Password, for sponsoring the Mac Power Users. What about at home, Katie? What got better for you this year? Um, several things got better for me at home. You know, we talked about at the beginning the, uh, the smart keyboard on the iPad 10.5 is, is one that I would pick. And I, I say that I use that at home. I, I, 
I, I would say that I use that more for, for personal stuff. Um, I use that quite a bit at home because in my new home, I've got my, my home office is upstairs now and everything else is downstairs. So it's kind of like when I go to work, I go upstairs and I've got my, my computer at my desk. And now granted, my computer is a, a 13 inch MacBook Pro and it's very portable. I can simply unplug it and take it downstairs. But when I quote unquote go home and am done working, um, the iPad is the computer that I keep downstairs. I mean, the iPad very rarely comes upstairs unless it needs to sink or, or do something like that. And so it's just like this little extra barrier, this little extra friction of, gosh, do I want to go all the way upstairs? Granted, it's, it's one flight of stairs. It's really no trouble. Um, but it's, you know, the, the iPad is kind of my home computer, whereas my, you know, MacBook Pro is kind of my work computer. And, and having the 10.5 inch keyboard on the iPad, uh, has really made it a device that I can get a lot more done. I will now take the iPad and and throw it in my purse and have no queries about going to Starbucks and processing email. Um, the other day I, I wrote an article for Don McAllister's, you know, Screencast Online Monthly Magazine, you know, sitting at Starbucks on the iPad and didn't even think twice about it. And so the smart keyboard on the 10.5 inch iPad, now we had the smart keypad before, so that, that was something that we had before on the iPad. And I know it seems like a minuscule difference. And if you have a 9.7 inch iPad Pro, I'm not saying you need to run out and buy a 10.5 inch iPad. That, that was probably, um, an exaggerance on, on my side, a luxury that I didn't necessarily need. But I will it's tell okay, you. It's okay, Katie. It's okay. I know, but I feel so guilty about these things. But, but having that little extra space, um, really freed up the, the space between the keyboards. And for me, I find it makes the transition going from my, uh, my regular keyboard at the desk to the iPad Pro keyboard, uh, just, just so much easier. And that smart keyboard stays on my iPad all the time. So if you don't have a smart keyboard and you do have an iPad Pro, uh, I would suggest you check it out. I, I feel like this year, 2017 for me, uh, one of the things that went right this year was the year that HomeKit started working for me. Uh, you know, for a long time, HomeKit was this promise of the future that Apple had, but they didn't have the hardware out yet. And uh, they made it kind of difficult for third parties to make compatible hardware. This year, they loosened that up. And also just that the people that had been working on the hardware finally got things shipping. And um, uh, Bob Spivak, who was the one that turned me on the Lutron, and I'm the one who turned you on Lutron, and and I'm sure a lot of listeners know <laughs> I turned on the Lutron. But these these smart switches in the wall, suddenly not only can I use uh, HomeKit automation reliably, but my family can use it too, and they fully embraced it. You know, we were just driving home last night, and my wife was sitting next to me. She was really silent. I'm like, what are you doing? She was on her phone. She's like, well, I just turned on the Christmas tree and I turned on the living room lights. And, you know, so she was just having fun turning on the lights as we were getting ready to, to arrive home. So everything was waiting for us. And that never would have happened in 2016, I can tell you. Um, so uh, this year, it really kind of came together. It wasn't just one product. It was just kind of the overall work the uh, Apple team did on HomeKit and all these third-party developers. Like the, I've got the Eve switches on some of the doors. I've got some of the iHome plugs. I've got the Lutron switches. And um, and all of that is kind of coming together for me in a way that that uh, is bringing home automation to my life in a way that, that really makes sense. And best of all, I have a jazz button now. I push a button in the wall and jazz comes out of my speakers. Uh, I will second that. This year, HomeKit has really come together for me. And I'm hoping that Santa will bring me a few more HomeKit accessories this year. But I don't think he will because, you know, Santa has been a little displeased with my tech habit. But um, I was sitting at the office today 
And uh, keep in mind, I live alone. And all of a sudden, I get a pop-up notification on my my watch from my ring that says, there's motion at your front door. And I thought, great, my MPU hoodie has arrived because it was supposed to arrive today. I'm waiting for mine, too. <laughs> it, uh, it didn't, by the way, but uh, yeah. but I, it's still out for delivery. So my, my uh, UPS guy has been coming later and later. I think with the holidays, they're running them ragged. Um, and then I was like, all right, well, all right, we'll see. And then all of a sudden, a minute later, I got a notification from the home app that says front door unlocked. And I'm like, hmm, okay, what's going on here? And so I popped open and I opened up one of my security cameras and just missed somebody. And then I got a notification that says garage door opening. I'm like, huh, wonder what's going on there. So uh, turns out it, it was a family member of mine who was um, doing me a favor and and getting rid of some, dropping off some stuff and getting rid of some stuff. But um was one of those things that I, I finally caught them on the on the camera and texted them and said, thank you very much. Please lock the door when you leave. But even if they hadn't, I could have because it was fine. But it, yeah, you know, you could have, yeah. <laughs> it was just I'm sure I freaked them out. They're like, what? No, just- yeah. Well, I, I you know, I, while on the subject of c- cameras, I, I although I went all in with HomeKit this year, I did not go all in with HomeKit cameras. Um uh, oh, I looked at them. There, there's a couple out there, but ultimately I decided because I already own two Canary cameras and I signed up for, they have a thing where it saves your videos for 30 days and I signed up for that. So I'm paying a uh, hundred bucks a year. See, that's one more drop in the bucket, I guess. Uh, but they will uh, support up to five cameras with that and they'll save your video from them for 30 days. And since I already had these two and I really like the way they work. And this is another one where my wife understands the app and uses the app. I like the fact that they have alarms in them. You know, they have a siren in them. If I, I can remotely trigger a siren if I saw somebody in the house that shouldn't be there. Um, and I went ahead and bought a couple of the Canary Flex cameras. And this is all with the idea of this trip I'm going on. You know, I just, I just felt like, you know, I need something outside. So I got these Flex cameras. I think I just mentioned them last week on the episode, but now I've had them up for a week. They work great. They're- we want to know if you caught your reindeer thief. No, the reindeer thief, I mean, between the cables I put on it. Oh, the other thing I didn't mention on the show is uh, I have some of these trackers. So I literally have a tracker on the reindeer. I am so, you know, I don't know why I'm such a jerk about these reindeer, but it was, um, I should put a picture of them in the show notes, but it was a family project. If you go to Disneyland on the Small World Ride, they have these really goofy looking Hawaiian style reindeer in the uh, Pacific Island segment of the uh, of the Christmas version of the small world. So we took pictures of them and it was a family project. It took us like a month. You know, we sketched them out. We cut them out of plywood. We all painted, you know, it was like a big thing for the family to do together. And I, I you know, as a schmaltzy dad, that means a lot to me. And when somebody stole them and like broke one of the antlers, I felt super violated. So I was thinking about after the show last week, I sounded like a complete weirdo why I'm so hung up on keeping these reindeer, but now I have them tracked as well. So I don't think they're going anywhere. Well, you b- before you get too far past it, you, you bring up a really good point that I want to make sure was not lost is that you, you need to be careful with these because as we, as we get into multiple services, you have to be wary of the subscription costs that come with them. Like you're, you're kind of in now on the Canary system, which is fine. But but you just need to be aware of that. So it made sense for you to buy accessories that worked with your system. Um, I I've been looking. I've got the Ring doorbell, so I pay thirty bucks a year for that one doorbell. 
or I could pay a hundred bucks a year for multiple ring devices. Yeah. So you're going to start buying the ring things. Right. And so I'm like, well, if I wanted to add other outdoor cameras, it makes sense for me to get the ring cameras as opposed to, I kind of like the nest cameras, but if I get the nest cameras, then I have to add another subscription in addition to the one that I've already got. And, and so that's, I mean, that's how these companies get you is they, you know, they kind of, kind of get you locked like that, but it's something you have to be, be aware of, or you go the route that I did and you could just use, I, I use my Synology with this surveillance station to, to monitor my cameras. And that's the free route. Yeah. And when, when Robert Spivak came on the show, he recommended some software that you can run your Mac to, to do it all from there, which would be fine. And except for the fact I'm already paying for the, for the Canary and, uh, like Ring has a very cool camera that fits into a um like a spotlight where they have, they have a spotlight and a floodlight and that that's great. Um, uh, Canary didn't have it, but I was already invested in Canary. So, but what they have, which is cool, is the Canary Flex, which is a camera that is com- completely self-contained. It's wireless. It works over Wi-Fi. It has a battery inside of it, so I'm gonna have to yank them down every month and charge them, which is kind of a pain in the neck. But I can move them anywhere. And, um, and I, I'm pretty happy with the purchase at this point. Um, and it added a degree of security. So as we head out the door to Europe, I'm going to have like the front doors are going to, all the doors in the house are going to give me notifications, um, if they open and close, because that shouldn't be happening when I'm gone and the cameras will be on full, you know, alert. So I, I, I feel like this year, just overall the home kit, the cameras, even though those aren't part of home kit for me, that was kind of a, a realization this year is even though I'm into home kit doesn't mean I have to use home kit for everything. I'm using this canary camera system instead. And uh, Katie has the ring one. There, there's other good solutions that don't necessarily have to support home kit. And, uh, but I do feel like I got a lot of this more managed now. And not only is it managed in a way that works for me, but it works for the rest of my family, which was something I was missing before. Something else that worked for me uh, this year is CarPlay. I had a CarPlay system installed in my car. I'm so jealous of you on that. Well, I, I guess the real reason that I was doing it is I, I don't, I, I, I'm not opposed to the possibility that I have a problem with my iPhone 10. And in fact, if it continues kind of beyond the next software update, I think I'm going to have talk to Apple about maybe replacing it. But I have had more and more trouble with Bluetooth with my iPhones. And um, I know there is this constant issue. And thankfully, I, I, I hadn't run into it, but now it's it's all the time where you get into your car and a random song starts playing. Ugh, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And I didn't have it before. I have it now. But now I'm having this issue with my iPhone 10. And I think it started with my iPhone 7, but I'm not really sure because it started right about the time that I got the iPhone 10. So maybe it started with iOS 11. But now I'm having this constant issue where Bluetooth is just atrocious on my iPhone, where no matter what Bluetooth speaker I connect to, it's constantly disconnecting and you know, voices are cutting out and the speaker is cutting in and out and then it will disconnect and then I'll have to reconnect it. Like I was, I was in the shower and I don't take real long showers. And the time that I was in the shower, the Bluetooth speaker disconnected three times. I had to get out and reconnect it. And, you know, you know what you should do? What's that? You should go to the uh, Mac power users, Facebook group. I should Uh, check in on that. Maybe somebody else. My Bluetooth has been solid with my new phone. Uh, but I've got an older car. Well, it's not older, but it's old enough that it's got the Ford Sync system in it. You know, I actually have a Microsoft badge in my car, gang. So just, just so you know, you can get a sticker for that. Yeah, but it, it um, 
and it's kind of horrible. I mean, it's, and, and, but it runs the whole car, you know, like the air conditioning buttons are on it. And so I, I can't just like yank it out and replace it. It's not like a car radio. It, it's more of like a car operating system. I actually one day got a blue screen of death with the uh, Ford sync. I was driving down the freeway and it just flashed to the BSOD and I desperately wanted to take a picture of it, but I didn't want to die. You know, so I didn't try and take a picture while I was driving down the freeway. And you also can't do anything with it because you're like, oh, my gosh, is my car going to restart now? Well, the car, the engine works, but I mean, like a lot of the other stuff. But then then I just yesterday we had a family thing and I spent the day in my sister's car that has the Apple CarPlay. And it is so nice. I mean, I spent I was such a nerd, but I I, I played with every button and setting. And, and it's just like a 100 times better than what's in my car. But uh, I drive cars until the wheels fall off. So it'll probably be like 10 years before I get a new car and uh, am able to get an Apple Play system. Right. So I, I started this with a rant about Bluetooth and maybe there is just something wrong with my hardware. So I'll, I'll deal with that. But uh, CarPlay, uh, I use my car because it's a third party system uses plug in CarPlay, which which is fine. But it's it's such a pleasant experience. I've got Overcast on there. I've got audiobooks on there. And, and that's really where I spend 99% of my time. I've got Apple Maps on there. Uh, today, it knew exactly where I was going. It's like, here, let me give you directions to that. I'm like, oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it, which is a little freaky, but, you know, did what I wanted it to do. Uh, it does it does hands-free calling. It's got my address book. It's got my messages. I mean, is it perfect? Are, are there changes and tweaks I wish they would make? Of course. I mean, there, there are always ways that it, it could be better. But I mean, I would say on a scale of, of one to 10 for 10 being my absolute perfect dream car interface, this is probably a seven or eight, whereas every other car interface that you've ever dealt with in your life has been like a two. It is just far leaps and bounds above anything else. You know, Katie, just looking back on the last hour of the show, quite a bit of things went right for us this year in our technology. They did. They did go right for us this year. Um but yeah, so CarPlay, I'm I'm happy with it, and I hope Apple continue. I hope that this is an area where Apple just doesn't say, "Okay, it's good enough, we're good." I hope they continue to evolve it. Me too, and maybe they'll come up with a way to get it into a Ford. That would be great. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniPlan. Project planning made painless. OmniPlan is the planning and project management software from the Omni Group. With OmniPlan, you can take a complicated project in your life and accumulate all the assets and the people and the resources you're going to need to accomplish that project, and with just a little work, turn it into a beautiful-looking project plan. OmniPlan is not only powerful, it renders these gorgeous-looking Gantt charts that you can share with your team or even your clients to show them just how together you are. With OmniPlan, when you make a OmniPlan project and things change, the application automatically adjusts the schedule and everything else for you. I've been using these on complicated projects for the law practice for years, and clients love getting these updated OmniPlans. It shows them that their lawyer knows what the heck he's doing. As you're heading into the new year, I bet you've got a couple complicated projects in your life that OmniPlan could help you out with. Because it's made by the Omni Group, it's a gorgeous app that's easy to use. They continue to evolve, and the most recent version on iPad is amazing. It takes advantage of all those iOS 11 goodies that we all wanted to make a really great project planning application. Don't just take my word for it. Go download the demo. The Omni Group lets you download a trial so you can see exactly how the application works. You'll find that it's really good looking, really easy to use, and really quite powerful. 
To learn more, head over to omnigroup.com slash omniplan and let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users. Okay, so we've talked about the past. What about the future? Uh, have you got any big plans? I mean, the new year always brings us out in both of us where we, we kind of think about some things we'd like to get better at going into the new year. What, what's on your mind? Um, one, one of the big things that um, I, and I, I want to do in the new year is I want to focus more of my time and energy uh, in two categories. Um, one is either more on things that I enjoy, whether or not they're, they're money-making or, or, or productive, but I, obviously we all want to spend more time doing things that, that we enjoy. And in areas where I am doing things that I, I don't necessarily enjoy, I want to I want to focus my efforts doing on things that that produce returns. I, I feel like I spent um, I, sometimes I spend too much time doing things because I think that I should do them. Uh, and because I make a maybe I make a little money off of them or maybe I think I'm going to get some kind of return off of them. I'm thinking particularly in my work field, but yet they, they don't ever really end up producing uh, much in the ends of returns for me. And, and they just, they're constantly a hassle. They're the things that I'm always doing, you know, at the very last minute before, before a deadline or, you know, the, the things that I, I just are, are always read in my OmniFocus list or the things that I know that I, I do because I feel like I need to do them, but I never really want to do them. And I'm, I'm trying to get rid of more of those things in my life. That's a good goal. Yeah. Do you have any ideas how you're going to pull it off? Yeah. I'm just going to say no to more things. Um, well, honestly, that's a, that's a start. <laughs> yeah, it is, is a start. Um, I'll tell you, gang, one of the things, honestly, um, I, I, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to stop blogging as much in, in 2018. I, I always felt, you know, honestly, David, very, very envious of, of Max Sparky. Uh, and that, envious actually isn't, is a good word, uh, because envious has a negative con- connotation to it. Um, uh, you know, you, you do such a great job at Max Sparky. I always thought that that was something that I should do. You know, oh, David has this great blog. I should have this great blog too. I should, I should be blogging more. I should have more of a blog presence. I, I should have more of a comment on, on everything. And I realized that that's not really something that I enjoy. I don't really feel the need to, to do that. I don't really feel the need. I, I get my satisfaction out of this this podcast. And occasionally I have something more to say or something that's off topic to say. And I'll want to write up a little something about it and, and putting it on the job on, on the blog. But I don't get a lot of, of pleasure or joy out of out of writing articles just just for the the sake of having some new content on the blog every week. And uh, so that's one of the things you, you may have noticed it already. I've never been a prolific blogger. You may have noticed the last couple of months that I'm, I'm blogging even less, but um, I'm, I'm really only going to blog now in 2018 when I, when I really have something to say. Um, and the blog, in fact, may entirely go away. Um, I've already stopped taking sponsorships and all the blog. I was just like, oh, you know, I need to make this blog because that's something that I need to have and it could be a revenue stream, but it's not something that I enjoy. Yeah, making a blog to make money is a really bad idea, especially in 2017 or 2018. Yeah, it, it, it's got to be a labor of love. I, I enjoy doing it is why I do it, because I don't make enough money off it. To, I mean, if I if I stopped doing it and just worked on legal stuff, I would I, the Sparks family bottom line would be in better shape. You know, so. But you at least enjoy it. You yeah, know. I, that's why I do it. That's why I do. That's it. why you do it. So, so guys, don't be surprised if uh, katiefloyd.com goes away 
or uh, becomes a lot quieter. It's fine. It's okay. Everything's fine. It's just that um, that's one of the things where, you know, it was always one of those things where on, on a Sunday evening, I was trying to come up with a couple of blog posts for the week because I felt like I needed to. Yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, so I've got uh, a couple hippie things I want to talk about, but just on the technology side, um, I feel like I'm in a good place with a lot of the tech I'm using now. But of course, I'm always looking, uh, you know, down the road. Uh, I feel like I got very ambidextrous between iPad and Mac, and I want to continue to kind of develop that. Um, and something I haven't done enough of is is pr- uh, publish books. You know, I used to publish a lot of books, and now it seems like it's a huge thing for me to get one out. I got one out this year. That's good, but I I have big plans, and I want to talk about that. Uh, so, so I've been trying to look at what's getting me stressed out and what's keeping me from getting the work I love done. And just overall, the idea of artificial stress is one that's on my mind as I go into the new year. I feel like I was very good at creating artificial stress for myself. So I've been changing some of my workflows up. Like I'm in the midst of a very big experiment with OmniFocus where I'm no longer using defer dates. And we'll talk about this on the show as I go further down the road, but it's kind of working for me. It has some some pitfalls to it, but it's a way to allow me to manage tasks in a way that's frankly less stressful. Um, I have uh, gone all in just the last couple of weeks with day one. You know, day one was that, that diary app. And I forget, what guest did we have on that was talking about it recently? Uh, somebody was on the show talking about it. Was it Shahid? I think it was. And it inspired me to go look at it again. And I've created several diaries. I'm not giving myself stress and you have to fill out one every day, but just, you know, when something silly happens with the kids, I've got one kind of for a personal, I've got one for the law side, I've got one for uh, the Max Sparky side. And, and it's kind of fun doing that. And it allows me to be a little more introspective about what's getting me stressed out and what, what is giving me a little joy. Uh, I did a big experiment, and this is once again treading over into uh, free agents territory. But I, I, I use technology towards the end of 2017 to do a lot of analytics as to where I was spending my time. You know, so I used the Toggle app and all the other stuff Airbnb really keeps talking about, and I got tons of great data on where I'm spending time. And now I have a list of things that take significant amounts of time that I no longer want to do, and I'm just slowly going through the list, finding the right person or computer or whatever to take over that thing for me. And it's not going to happen overnight, but I, you know, I'm, I have a pecking list and I'm taking things out, you know, a little bit at a time. So I I feel like going into next year, I've got, I'm kind of in a good space and I have the idea of trying to get myself less artificially stressed. I mean, there's reasons to be stressful, but I feel like I was kind of between my processes and just the amount of different things I do, I was creating too much artificial stress for myself. And I'm uh, really working on using the technology going into the next year to help me take take that out of my life. I mean, I want to have a little more time to go goof off on the Mac Power Users Facebook channel and uh, and also with my family and do other things too. But I, um, I think that if I can get this figured out and this is the year for me to do it, um, uh, I'll have a lot to talk about on the show. One thing that I know I've gotten worse at this past year is email. And I think that's because my volume of email has gone up. And I think as a result of that, I have stopped being as strict a devotee to inbox zero as I previously was. And I know I I just feel less in control of email than I have been in the past. 
And I feel like one way that I, I deal with that is by not dealing with it. And then that causes stress by seeing all that email then in my inbox. And so that's one thing that I've got to get better control of is number one, figuring out some way to have less email to interact with. Um, and we've talked about that a little bit on the show is just trying to, to get the emails feedback for the show, particularly out of email, getting it more on the Facebook group, getting it more on Twitter, um, realizing that I have to let go of some of the email that, that is just not necessary and really developing workflows so that, um, if it truly does not need to be an email, that it doesn't get an email. Um, I think so many times we, we use emails and we send dozens of emails needlessly because we do email badly. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at my, um, I, one of my things on my list for next year is I want to get worse at email. If that makes any sense because I was looking at my inability to get more books out. And, and I realized that it, it, part of my self image is, Oh, I'm the guy who's Johnny on the spot. And I get, I respond to emails very quickly and I get good information to people that write me with questions. But then I realized that by making that choice of being that guy, uh, I was also making the choices. I'm the guy who doesn't get books published because the time that I'm allotting to uh, feed this, this image of myself as the guy who always returns emails uh, it has a cost, you know, and the cost in this case is uh, the publishing side. Cause it's not going to, I'm not going to give up, you know, a dedication to clients for this. And, you know, I'm not going to give up making podcasts to answer email, but apparently I was willing to give up publishing books in order to answer email. And I realized I don't think that that was a choice I made unconsciously and it's a choice I'm not happy with. So I'm getting better at being comfortable with the fact that I'm just not going to get back with every email. And I love you all that send me email. And I do, if I had unlimited time, I would respond to each one. Uh, but, uh, and I think people kind of understand that, you know, you do what you can. I do respond to some, but not all. And I'm getting to the point where if I can't respond to all, even stuff that deserves a response, I think people understand. And um, if not, I mean, that's, that's too bad because I'm just not happy with the balance I have on that. And I, I've kind of, I think you're just a little bit behind me on that curve because I finally, I've kind of got there. It sounds to me like you're getting there. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there because something's got to give, you know, I'm looking at my inbox right now and there are items in there that are over a week old. I mean, come on, I got to do something with that. I just got to get rid of it. Yeah. Well, I, I don't keep them around that long. I mean, I, and, and I'm getting to the point where I do some deferment and I know that's people don't like that, but if I defer it a couple of times, then I just don't answer it because it's just, it's just not going to happen, you know? And, and I try to get through it all because there are emails that need response. Somebody that, you know, they bought my book and it, the download isn't working or whatever. And that's one of the things I did this year is I have an assistant. I forward those emails to her and those problems get taken care of right away. And, but I got to make sure I see those, you know, and if I let myself get buried by, you know, one of those emails get lost in it, then I'm giving a bad experience to one of my customers. So, you know, it's all kind of working out, but, but I, I'm in the midst of getting proper help and we've been threatening to do a show on it, but I haven't done it yet. Cause I'm not ready to talk about it yet because I, I've been making plenty of mistakes, but I haven't got that many successes yet. I want to wait until I can tell you not only what I did wrong, but what I did right. Yeah. Well, maybe there's an email show. That's how we started things. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, anything else that you're looking forward to kind of working on next year with your tech? Um, those, those are, those are kind of the, the big ones. Um, you know, one more I've got on my list, uh, 
is I've been getting much more aggressive about using keyboard maestro. Um, uh, to, and you know, it's such a magical app, you know, it, it's, it's a Mac only thing, but it just does so many great things. Like I have a keyboard maestro script that if I leave Twitter open for more than five minutes, it just closes the window. And it's a great way for me to avoid opening Twitter to say one thing and spending 30 minutes in Twitter. Cause it's like a little, the, the, the Mac just closes the window for me to remind me, Hey, why aren't you working? Uh, another thing I'm doing with Keyboard Maestro is like we record the shows. I record uh, my primary recording for the Mac Power users is done in, um, in I'm having a brain fart, uh, the app Audio Hijack. Now, when I close the app Audio Hijack, uh, I'll have concluded the recording. But when Keyboard Maestro sees that I closed Audio Hijack, it opens Finder to the folder where I save all of the... Uh, recordings. So I immediately have a reminder right in front of my face. And and the way I do it is, you know, I don't automatically upload the recording because I like to give them a, a name and a, a time. And there's some things I do to it to make sure that it has the right data on it. But it's very quickly because then it opens the folder. I just apply the tag and, um, and then Hazel does the rest and gets the file uploaded. But it's just a reminder. All I have to do is close the app and Keyboard Maestro opens the folder. And there's just like all these little shortcut things I'm learning to do on my Mac that just set things up for me for success. And the more I start using this app, because I've always used it a little bit, but now I'm using it more aggressively. And I think next year you'll see more content from me on that because uh, as I use it more, I realize, man, this thing is super powerful and it can solve a lot of little problems for you. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by FreshBooks, online invoicing made easy. To all the freelancers out there, you know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business. Our friends at FreshBooks can save you up to 192 hours with their cloud accounting software for freelancers that's ridiculously easy to use. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. Two of my favorite features of FreshBooks are automatic late payment emails and to know when a client has viewed your invoices. So FreshBooks lets you automate late payment email reminders. This is so you can spend less time chasing payments and more time actually getting work done. It's also nice because it helps you keep on top of your invoices and can send a friendly automated reminder to your clients, letting them know that perhaps they've been a little negligent in paying your bill without making you the bad guy. You can just say, oh, thanks. That's an automated message that goes out. I appreciate you paying your bill. And you can keep track of exactly what's going on with your invoices because when you email a client, FreshBooks can show you whether they've actually seen it. It puts an end to all those guessing games of, oh, gee, that invoice must have gotten left lost in the mail or, gosh, I've, I've never seen that invoice before. You must have forgotten to send it. With FreshBooks, you know exactly where you stand. And if you're listening to this and not yet using FreshBooks, there's never been a better time to give it a try. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show with no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash MPU and enter Mac Power Users, all caps, in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So thanks, FreshBooks, for your kind support of the show and freelancers everywhere. All right, Katie, going into 2018, uh, I know we're not really in the prediction business here, but do you want to talk a little bit about what you expect from Apple in the next year? 
Well, um, I mean, there's certain things that we we know we're going to get from Apple. We're probably going to get a new iOS. We're probably going to get a new Mac OS. We're probably going to get a new iPhone. But um, I mean, I guess we could we could talk about some of the the details on on those. I um I I think that the state of the Mac is is going to continue to evolve in in the next year. I think Apple has taken some missteps with the Mac, and I think they realize that and are are trying to make some course corrections. Now, does it happen in 2018 or um, does it take longer than that? I don't know. But we we know that the iMac Pro was just released at the at the end of 2017. We know that the Mac Pro is coming. Will it come in 2018? Will it not? I, I don't know. But um, it, it seems like th- there are some issues with the the Mac Pro, specifically with the keyboard design and the, Mac the MacBook Pro. The MacBook Pro, yes, and the keyboard design. Um, I I don't know that we're going to see a revolutionary change next year. It's a it's a little soon for a big change, but but I think we'll start to see Apple taking some steps to to do that. Yeah, I would not be surprised if they address the keyboards in the the MacBook. And I I don't think it means we're going to have cherry switches and you know clickety clack keyboards installed on our laptops. Um, but I do think that they're going to be much more reliable and maybe a little more travel uh, pretty soon, if not 2018, then soon after. I, I forgot to tell you, the funniest thing happened when I went to see Star Wars. Uh, you know, the usual thing, there's this long line of people and everybody's been there a long time. And I went to get uh, a tea and as I was walking back, there's a guy there with a MacBook and he had on top of it Velcroed, like an IBM style clickety clack keyboard on top of the keyboard of his MacBook. And it was just, I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't the full, like with a key with a number pad, but it was like one of those narrow ones. And I couldn't help myself. I stopped to talk to the guy. It was a Bluetooth fancy keyboard. I don't remember what the, the, the kind was, but it had the cherry switches on it. And literally he put, um, like Velcro strips on either side of the keyboard on his MacBook. So he can close the lid, but then he'd open the lid and he would pull this out of his bag and just like attach it to the top of the keyboard. And then he would type on it. And I was, I was talking to a friend. I'm like, I have never seen anyone do that for any other prior MacBook. And the very fact that somebody's doing this just tells you that they got a problem. And keep in mind that a- Apple is a, is a battleship. It it turns very slowly. I mean, Apple has designs in the pipeline. I mean, it it has things worked out years in advance. And when they realize that, that changes need to happen or things need to to go in a different direction, that's not something that you can just do and then six months later have a change out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I I think I don't know. We'll see. I I'm I'd like to be cautiously optimistic that that the keyboard will get better this year. But who knows? It may be two years before it does. Yeah, I think you'll see some minor changes. I think you'll see some minor revisions. I think they've made some minor revisions, but obviously not enough. And then we'll see that. I, I guess the real question is, what, what's going to happen in terms of, of software? Uh, the, there are a lot of people who aren't thrilled with with High Sierra. There seem to be a lot of bugs and things that that get for uh, through. I, I don't know. Is this the year that we just need to stop? That, that there doesn't need to be a ten fourteen this year. I, if I was in charge of Apple, I would take the Mac off the one-year update cycle. I mean, there, there's been some people who've written about this that you know worked at Apple, and they explain how the whole system works. You know, when when you do a yearly upgrade cycle, 
you know, you have like a month or two to figure out what's the new sexy feature we're adding. Then you've got three or four months to kind of write it. Then you have WWDC where you announce it and release the beta. And then you spend three or four months working through the betas to get it right and you release it. And then you spend a couple of months fixing it. And so the actual time you spend on developing new features is really only three or four months. Whereas if you did an update to the macOS every two years, you would have um, something like 12 months to work on new features and something like eight months to fix bugs. And that seems to me like a much better solution because we don't need a whole lot of new sexy features on the Mac. I mean, we got the new file system this year. I don't even know if someone asked me, what is the big feature you need in Mac next year? Sitting here, I can't even tell you what it is. I just want it to work better. And it's not working terribly now, but I, I, just, I just want it to be rock solid, you know? And um, and hopefully it is. I, I don't know that they will. I, I'm sure marketing disagrees and feels that, you know, you sell more Macs having a new operating system every year. But but I would love for nothing better than Apple to get it, get the macOS updates just to a, a two-year cycle instead of a one-year. And I understand iOS is different. I'm not arguing for iOS in two years, although maybe in a couple of years I will argue that too. Uh, but the um, but for now, just, you know, don't make the Mac such a rush every year. I, I d- will tell you, I think maybe not next year, but I think we are on the cusp of seeing Apple make some significant changes to have less dependency on other providers. I think you're going to see Apple start wanting to bring more of their chips in-house, uh, to bring more of their production in-house. I, I think Apple wants to be less reliant now, whether we see ARM-based Macs or those types of things, and whether we go through yet another transition. Mac users who have been around for a while know that we have gone through many transitions. Um, and every time we do it, it feels like it's, oh, how many times do I have to do this? But I, I think Apple fundamentally wants to get um, less reliant on on third parties because when they control the whole ecosystem um, with the software, with the hardware, but also with the pieces inside the hardware, um, I think they have a, a lot more control and can do a lot more things, and they're reliant on no one. Well, if you look at Apple on the mobile platforms... they cer- Well, on the iOS platforms, they certainly are. Yeah, the mobile. Uh, they are leading the pack by a long way. Apple's chip fab, you know, the... the, the the people, you know, Apple bought that company, I forget the name of them, years ago. But they, they've basically gone in-house with designing the chips for the iPhone and the iPad for a long time. And they are just so far ahead of the competition. When you look at benchmarks between uh, iPhone and iPad and, and competing devices, Apple is just way ahead. So I can see why uh, there's at least some part of Apple that's saying, why can't we do that with the Mac too? And, you know, what, what if you could get a 20-hour battery life out of a MacBook? you know, with, with an ARM based chip. I don't know if it's possible or not, but um, it certainly would be curious to see it. So I don't know if we'll get that this year either, but I think we're all kind of thinking about it in the back of our head. Yeah. The the problem is, is each time you do one of these transitions, you lose compatibility and you end up leaving more people behind. And Apple has made a lot of partnerships with, with industry now. Well, there's a lot of people that run windows on their Mac and that, you know, that would be a problem. Although I could see them doing this just on the, like the low end MacBook where it's just a super skinny device. That's got this super small chip in it and just runs forever. It's not going to be super powerful, but it's going to, you know, it's going to solve the problem. Well, you know, Microsoft has a product. Is it called windows edge? I don't remember where um, it, 
if you sandbox it and you run just Windows and just things out of the Windows store, that it can go quite a while. We'll see. We'll see. I, I don't really have a whole lot of predictions about what they're going to do with hardware this year. They, I feel like this past year they did so much. I wouldn't be surprised if we got a plus size iPhone 10 design, you know, where uh, it's the same thing as the iPhone 10 with no home button, but a plus size next year. Seems like a, a gimme given how many people like the big phones. Um, I'm curious to see how successful the HomePod is. Um, it's certainly not a direct competitor with a lot of the stuff that's like it. And um, it'll be fun in 2018 talking about it on the show. Yeah. See, I really have no interest in the HomePod. I mean, I, I'm, if it was a $149 speaker, I might, but yeah. I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one. I know you are. I mean, how could I help myself? But I, it's just going to be for my office and I'm going to just see how it goes. And, and it gives me something to talk about here too. But Honestly, if I didn't make the show, I'm not entirely convinced I'd be getting one. But I'm so invested in iCloud that I really would like the ability to just call out and get appointments read to me and some of the things that it should do. Yeah, but you're you're also so invested in Sonos as well. And, and keep in mind that you can connect Alexa to your calendar. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, we, uh, we finish it up. I, just one last question, Katie, because, you know, it's the end of the year. Um, did you, would you think of Star Wars or do you want to wait for another day on that? Oh, do we need to like blow the spoiler horn or something here? Yeah, but I mean, as this show goes out, it's been out, uh, the movie's been out two weeks. So, you know, I feel like if you waited two weeks, you really don't care. But yeah, we're going to talk about some spoilers. Okay. So spoiler alert, you know, do the Chewbacca insert, you know, chewy roar here. Okay. So I saw Star Wars. I saw it on opening night and I went to the seven o'clock showing. And mm, I enjoyed it. I, de- I definitely need to see it again because I feel like the, fir- the first time I watched it is, um, you know, just kind of try to try to take it in and, and, and get the get a sense of the story. Whereas the second time I'll, I'll watch it will be, you know, much more more critical. eye. I, I will tell you that I did not enjoy this as much as I enjoyed um, The Force Awakens. I just, just from a pure pleasurable sit back and watch a movie standpoint, I didn't, I did not find this as enjoyable as the force awakens. I, I think this was a deeper star Wars than the force awakens. And I think if I watch it a second time, I'll be, I'll be able to dig into a little more than that. Um, I thought they tried to do a little too much in this. I, I thought there were areas where it, it may have drug a, a little too long, but I enjoyed it. And I'll tell you, um, I, I just seeing Carrie Fisher was very emotional. And that scene she does with Mark Hamill at the end, it just like breaks your heart a little bit. Well, because you kept, uh, I mean, I obviously when they shot this, they, they had no, nobody knew um, what, what was going to happen. And they, they really had two decisions that, that they, they could have made. I mean, her, her roles were shot at that point. Um, they, they could have either chosen to completely have written her out of the movie and, and had her die at that one opportune moment where she could have died. Yeah, but I don't see how they could have written her out. She was so critical to so much of the movie. Yeah, they would have had to reshot a lot. Um, or they they could have just let her performance stand and and now they'll have to deal with it in post. You know, they'll they'll have to deal with it because I I got the sense that you know, Leia was clearly destined to be a part of the next piece of the trilogy and now that's not going to happen i'll tell you i like after i i've seen it twice and i've watched episode seven again and episode seven is so uplifting and like after the prequels it's it just like brings you home so much that it's it's hard 
to to match the feelings you get from episode seven, especially when it's the middle act. And, you know, the, the point of the middle act is take the characters that you like, develop them a little bit and just put them in the worst possible position, make everything as, as hard as possible for the characters. So then they've got something to come back from an episode, you know, the, the, the final episode. So I, I knew going in, it was going to be tough, but, um, uh, I had no idea we were going to lose Luke and, you know, as we talked about in that holiday episode or that uh, extra episode we did years ago, I grew up and Luke was my hero. You know, I just, the whole idea of the force, it helped me. I made decisions in my life as a kid based on whether that was something Luke would do or not, you know, and, and to see him kind of cranky, that was hard enough, you know, cause I felt like the character had developed more than that, that he wouldn't be like this as an old man, that he would actually be wiser than that. And, um, and then to see him go, I mean, it really just slayed me. And then, uh, the second time I saw it, I was much more comfortable with it. And I realized, you know, this isn't his journey. He had his journey in the first three movies and, you know, he, he filled his role in this movie and he's gone now and the new characters, it's about them. And so I'm, I'm much better about it after seeing it two times. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. It, it surprised me in a lot of ways and that's good. You know, they didn't just follow an old formula. Oh, this is not going to go the way you think. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but, and like, there were some parts that were definitely fan service and they absolutely worked for me. Uh, you know, another big influence on me as a little kid was Yoda, you know, all his little Zen sayings always, even as a, as a dorky little kid, those, those sunk in for me and having him come back and he came back, the version of Yoda that comes back is like the original trilogy Yoda. Yeah. He's not cartoon Yoda. Yeah. And, and not, you know, the, the one in the, in the prequels was kind of bitter and, cranky all the time whereas the yoda in the original trilogy is the one that would really eat your life you know the zen master that would eat your cookie and you know and um and that's the one that came back so i was really glad and he kind of gave luke some good advice i don't know overall i'm very happy with it i mean I, I obviously i'm an old man and those movies are made for kids and i shouldn't take them this seriously but i i really enjoyed it so i'm happy i have to uh, think about it more but i enjoyed it yeah, there, there were a couple of pieces in, in particular. Um, number one, I kept finding myself, and, and perhaps as a Star Trek fan, just every time they did something that was so clearly, uh, do they not know how space works? I mean, yeah, I know. I know. come on. It's fantasy. It's I not just, science fiction. But I mean, it's not even close to science yeah, I know. anything. The I way mean, they move around so fast. <laughs> well, crazy. but bombers, there's no gravity in space. So yeah, the bombers don't quite work. <laughs> and I'm sorry, you you don't get blown out of a spaceship and just float around for space a while and then be okay. That's not how that works. Yeah, I know. The, um, the whole thing with Leia in space, I feel like, they could have had her demonstrate her force powers in a way that wasn't so kind of ridiculous. A friend of mine uh, on the over on the Rebel Force Radio, they were they were calling it like freeze dried Leia, which is you know doesn't make any sense. You know, I don't understand. I felt like that was kind of silly. I felt like the scene in Canto Bite went on too long, honestly, and and I don't even sure that needed to be there at all. Right. No, that was something that definitely could have cut and cut about 20 minutes out. And um, so there there was some stuff in it that I didn't like. And I'm sure if I watch it more, I can become a little more critical. But overall, it gave me the good Star Wars feeling. And as a middle episode, it did what it's supposed to do. And, uh, you know, and I'm glad because there were so many weird rumors out. I'm glad Ray really stayed on the light side the whole time. Ray may be my favorite Star Wars character of all time. She's just so great. and Really? A- she She surpasses Yoda. No, I, I don't know. But I mean, I'm, I'm looking at her through the eyes of my daughter, who is so 
excited about this character. And I'm just so glad she's there for her. I, I think my favorite line in this movie was when Luke and Leia sit together. And before he speaks, she says, I, I, I know what you're going to say. I've changed my hair. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and I realized it because that was not Leia speaking. That was Carrie Fisher speaking. Yeah, and, and yeah, exactly because you know she she's a she worked as a script doctor on many many scripts in in Hollywood, and my understanding is consulted some on this script as well. Oh, a lot. Yeah, Ryan Johnson would go to her house and they'd sit on her bed and work on the script for hours at a time. She was, and I just smiled because I'm like, yes, that that's Carrie Fisher right there. That's not Leia. It is and like Mark Hamill was interviewed and he's talking about watching it is super hard for him because he shot those scenes thinking he was making a movie with his friend and. In a lot of ways, he was saying goodbye to her, you know, and uh, just interesting. But I, I enjoyed it. I've actually already pre-ordered it. Did you know it's available for pre-order on iTunes? No, but I'll have to go do it now. But, but yeah, I really liked it. I mean, overall, I'm, I'm super happy that they're making good Star Wars movies. And Ryan Johnson, the director of this, got a whole trilogy where he gets to kind of start from scratch. And I'm I'm curious to see what he does with it now. I think the guy can make a good Star Wars movie. It it felt enough like Star Wars to me, but it also, you know, moved things forward a little bit. So I'm good. Yes, I was very happy with it again. And it, it was Star Wars. It was uh, not my favorite Star Wars movie, but it, it was also not anywhere close to my least favorite. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Last question. Gone this long. Uh, what are you doing tonight? It's New Year's Eve. I don't know. It's uh, I haven't haven't quite thought that far ahead yet on New Year's. <laughs> I'm in Disneyland Paris tonight, so everybody. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that I promise you that beats whatever I'm doing by by far. That's pretty exciting. Hopefully, I'm healed by then too with all these meds. Well, it's uh, I, I will tell you, 2017 um, has been a great year. Year of Katie. It's been the year of Katie, I think. Uh, I, that's what I say. But I, it's been a great year for us. It's been a great year for Mac Power users. We we definitely want to thank our, our listeners um, for that and for allowing us the great privilege of continuing to do this podcast for another year. Um, and I noticed we've got our outline booked all throughout 2018 now. So I guess that means we're doing this another year, huh? You bet. Can't drag me away from this microphone. We'll see you all next year. Thank you for 2017. And have a great new year.